this is Tiffany Aurora. You're listening to the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. My guest today is Rob Graybow. Rob is an entrepreneur, a screenwriter, an actor, a film producer, amongst many other things, I'm sure. Rob is the founder and president of Intrepid Sportswear and Velocity Athletics, two niche athletic apparel companies. He's also the writer, star, and producer of the film The Year of the Dog, which is currently in limited release in markets across the U.S. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So I want to start. Um, I want to start with your bio, which you might get this question a lot. So I'm sorry if this is if this is a common one, but your your bio is it's very impressive. It lists the companies you founded and all of these things you've done, and you've lived you know around the world and you speak multiple languages. But then it closes with this line. It says, "And I once wore a Hawaiian shirt to a hometown Montana rodeo. Never again." <laughs> Can you tell me what happened at the Montana rodeo? Yeah, I was in college and, uh, you know, this is Livingston, Montana, where my family's from. And I thought I was being cool. And I put on like a Hawaiian shirt that was slightly neon colored. And I wore it to a rodeo um, in Livingston, which is, uh, they have like a professional bull riders association rodeo there. And the looks I got were pretty, they were pretty searing. So I, I just remember spending the entire rodeo just terrified that, that something not so great was going to happen. So, so I learned my lesson after that. Although shortly after that, we, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. I got a little bit, I want to prompt you to go on, but, but okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I will say I, I question whether Hawaiian shirts are really the appropriate response in almost any situation outside of Hawaii, but I could definitely be, I could be challenged on that one. Look, it was an aspirational shirt. Okay. It was, yes. it was I, I was hoping for some amazing weather and uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I also share your, your reservations there. <laughs> okay. So you have a film out in theaters right now. It's called the year of the dog and low budget. Um, but I, I saw the trailer for this film and it looks, it looks incredible. And I'm curious, what has the journey been like for you these past several months as you've watched your film getting picked up and getting more coverage um, all across the U.S.? Like, what has that been like? I'm still, you know, I think kind of in it and trying to process it. But I remember, you know, one thing I was thinking about the other day was our hope when we finished the film was that we might play for one week in one theater in order Mm. to be eligible for some, some of the award sort of circuits. And to be able to open in, you know, nearly a hundred theaters has been absolutely surreal, right? Just a, a pretty, a pretty incredible opportunity um, that surpassed, you know, what we thought was possible when we started out. So you're an entrepreneur and you've started, you know, successful companies. As an entrepreneur, I'm sure that you have probably more ideas than you know what to do with, because that is pretty <laughs> typical of anyone with creative leanings in life. Truth. So why why film and I, I know it takes multiple years to for a movie to be made and then to be brought to market but why did you choose a film and why this particular one 
Well, I honestly, I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I'm not sure it gets much better than films because they they mm -hmm. really are in and of themselves these contained entre entrepreneurial projects, right? Because they they they're just starting a company that has an end date, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, it's going to wrap. And it's nice because it allows itself also for a kind of serial entrepreneurship because you can do one, it has an entire life arc to it that is just condensed to, you know, a few years generally max. For me personally, you know, I, th there's something interesting about artists, I think, and I remember hearing about this a while ago that when I first started acting school, that something like 80% of or more of 90% of successful actors have come from like divorced homes. It's not about divorce, but it's about ending up in a situation where there's some kind of internal need. There's some, I, I used to talk about it this way, where there's like a void internally that, you know, artists kind of want to fill. And unconsciously, you know, there's a belief that if you get enough applause from strangers and enough adulation externally, that it will fill that hole, that hole internally, and you'll feel happy and whole. And of course, you know, it doesn't work that way. But I think sometimes with entrepreneur with, with people I've known who've been successful in kind of the startup world, it's a similar drive where there's this need to do something that matters and it's multi-layered in terms of motive, partially doing it for external adulation and partially doing it because you really care very much about, you know, the cause that that you're pursuing and or the business you're starting up. For me, I had I had channeled, you know, whatever part of myself that you know, I was trying to, in whatever way I was trying to make myself feel better, right? And to, to, to satisfy this internal sense of wanting to be loved in some way, honestly, I think I channeled mm -hmm. that into the business world and into startups. And then at some point there was an emotional component in that missing for me. And so I had had this pull toward acting for a while, but I was very afraid of the emotional cost of it because to do it well, I think requires someone being willing to be up in front of strangers and say, here's everything I'm ashamed of in myself that I try to hide. I have to bring this forward and have the ability to be vulnerable and to experience these complicated feelings publicly and openly. And at some point I decided that that was something I really had to do. And my companies were in a place where other people could run them so I could step away from them, which is what I've what what I've done. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to go back and, you know, start by taking acting classes, then went for my MFA in acting, and then, you know, moved toward the film. Um, because I I wanted to explore those parts of me that that I had been afraid to explore and then hopefully do it in service of something. So in the case of this film, it was a story about connection and how people who are struggling generally, but then also with addiction and alcoholism you know, potentially have, you know, many potential paths forward. And so the, the content mm -hmm. of the film was something I cared about also because of, you know, some of the places I grew up. So you mentioned the emotional cost. And I, I, I like that phrasing quite a bit because vulnerability is beautiful, right? Emotions are beautiful. They can be scary as well, mm -hmm. um, but they are absolutely a requirement for connection. And so they're wonderful. At the same time, there is a cost, right? And we're always sort of questioning, like, is this a safe space? Is this the right place for me to move forward? I don't know if right is 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 the best word there, but so how how did you grapple with it? I mean, you said you said you came to a point where you were like, yes, okay, I'm essentially ready to bear this cost. But was there more to it for you? I mean, what what sort of went into you getting to the place where you're like, yes, I I'm ready, I'm there. 
I think part of it, part of it was, uh, you know, I was at, I was at these companies I'd started and, you know, I was involved in the buildup of the processes from the beginning. Right. And so I'd been there for about 15 years and there was some part of me that felt autopiloted mm-hmm. in what I was doing. I think it was a sense of a little bit of a numb feeling that I started to sense in myself. And I think that scared me. I, it, it felt like I was somehow living in a way that was not in harmony with in, an internal, what kind of my internal deeper self was saying was the, the way for me to actually live in the world. And so I think it was an accumulation of a lot of things. One, the ability to be able to take time away. Two, was that that beginning to sense this kind of numbing happening and feeling like there was something else that I needed to explore within myself and then you know hopefully be able to there's just a bunch of things I think that converge to to yeah. cause that I just think it's really powerful so thank you for sharing that and I, I I think I think that numbness and that feeling of being on autopilot is certainly something that arises arises for a lot of people and it can often arise in those moments where you realize you've sort of been quote unquote successful you know like you you hit that mark you you did kind of what you set out to do but i think i think a lot of people there's there's that need to continually push and continually drive and and being numb and being on autopilot isn't really an option i mean it is but it's not you know and i think there's there's so much value in recognizing that and being okay with it not being okay to stay in that space well, that, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that's the key too. And, you know, like in retrospect, even probably before pursuing acting would have been worthwhile for me to spend more time sitting with, you know, what was arising, what was at root of my subjective experience of numbing, you know, or starting to numb in some of those, in some of those moments in some of that space, because, you know, there, there, we have all kinds of, in my experience anyway, I for sure have all kinds of strategies to you know, avoid dealing with what might be really operating deeper mm-hmm. down and tasks are one way to avoid, right? Yep. And another way to avoid, you know, is by, you know, you kind of replace, like, I think people sometimes run the risk of replacing one compulsion for another. And they're all, you know, strategies sometimes to avoid dealing with what is actually going on yep. physically and emotionally. So there's a, there's a line in the trailer of your film where your character says, if, if there is a cure for addiction, it is someone you care for saying you're not alone. Um, that's a very powerful statement. Yeah. What's what's kind of the story behind that line? Where did that line come from? There, there's a um, there's a man named Johan Hari who talked about addiction, and um, he gave a TED talk on this. And I watched it recently, and he talks in there about studies on addiction. And I'm trying to remember the exact story, but it was something like. They would they took a mouse and they gave a mouse a bottle of water that had like I think cocaine in there and then another bottle of water that was plain just normal water and they had they put this mouse in isolation and they did these studies and invariably the mouse in isolation would drink the cocaine laced water until it died across the board and th- this is my recollection of it and then they they were exploring the importance of connection and socialization in how we deal with in this case addiction. And they put the mouse in there again. And this time they put the mouse in there with a bunch of other mice with like a whole bunch of delicious cheeses and like these little mouse games. So it was like mouse Disneyland. Then they did the same thing. And uh, I think no mouse consumed the cocaine lace water to excess at all. And they oh. actually stopped drinking that water and they went more toward the normal water. 
And one of the takeaways from that was that, you know, part of the reason that one extrapolation, and I don't know, I don't think this is necessarily scientifically rooted, and that's something Johan Hari could talk about. But one of the things I took away from that was that when we're in isolation, you know, the, the desire to numb in certain kinds of ways is much stronger. But when we have a sense of community and things we enjoy subjectively around us, then our inclination to do things that are more harmful to ourselves is decreased. And, you know, from my own experience, I think feeling alone and in emotional pain is one of the worst things there is. Um, and it's infinitely better, even if we're struggling to feel like someone else is there, even just in the room with us. Yeah, the people that we surround ourselves with definitely shapes our lives, I think, in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. I mean, of course, there's all the science behind it in our own lived experiences, but that inner circle, even, you know, coaches and mentors and the people that we turn to during times of either big problems or big celebrations, um, so important. Totally. That, that connection piece. Just out of curiosity, if you don't mind sharing, who, who would be like one or two people that you've had in your life that you would consider or to have had maybe some of the, the biggest impacts on you and your life and where you are today? Well, you know, one, and this is connected to the film, you know, I moved around mm -hmm. a lot as a kid. So I think I lived in one place for more than a year by the time I went to college. Oh, wow. And the one, one place I felt particularly safe was with um, a Newfoundland that we had when I was growing up. His name was Basil. And he's probably, he he's one, one wonderful being that really, really stands out to me. And I think part of it was like, you know, we, when you move around a lot, I like unconsciously, I think I would try to chameleonize myself a bit to fit mm -hmm. in new environments, right? Yep, yep. And the, the stable through line reflecting back to me who I actually was, was oftentimes with Basil. And, and he could meet me exactly where I was at. And so he was for sure. And then, you know, the, my mom and, and my older brother um, were probably the two other most influential people in my, in my own life. I think like many of us, you know, some intimate family. I love that comment about just reflecting back to someone who they see, because I think that's really important. And I, I think it requires a certain level of presence and a certain level of just stopping, kind of pausing and being in the moment with someone and it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lived experience of really, truly seeing someone for who they are. Right. But then taking it a step further and not just seeing that person for who they are, but taking a moment to just reflect that back to them. It's so powerful. And I think probably most of us don't get that anywhere near as enough, as much as we need it. Right. And why is that? Like, why, how do we, how do we, how do we address that? Because that's so important. It's so important for all of us, I think. Well, you know what, L Rob, let's address it right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right? <laughs> let's solve this problem. I mean, sort of in that observation or in that conversation is I, I take away from it the like the word presence and like slowing yourself down and being able to be with someone else. Actually, there's um there's a quote that comes to mind. I think it's by Bernadette Jiwa. She wrote What Great Storytellers Know, I think is the name of her book. And she has she has a line in there that's something along the lines of presence, like presence is a luxury. Presence is a luxury every storyteller needs to afford. So this is actually one of the things that I have struggled with a lot in the past. It's one of the things that I have prioritized in the last couple of years. I wouldn't say that I'm good at it yet. I would say, <laughs> I would say that I'm beginning to cultivate a lifestyle and sort of the habits and the practices that allow me to 
be present in a moment with someone else. And I would also say for myself. Um, but I, I would say that I'm very much at the beginning of that journey. What does presence look like for you? I mean, that's a huge question. It's really broad. So sorry about that. But no. what does what does being present look like for you? How have you cultivated that? Well, I mean, we spent like acting school was like <laughs> three years of just intense focus on that. In addition to crying like 30 hours. <laughs> a week. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's some real, there's Meisner exercises that focus very much on that. But I think, I think for me, the, one of the ways I think about it now is one, there's a certain kind of like vulnerable quote unquote relaxation, whatever that, you know, can take place if that's something, you know, in my experience that I'm looking to cultivate. But then the other thing is allowing, and I had a great acting teacher um, from the Esper studio who you know, would share this phrasing, but it's allowing what is happening in the other person emotionally to an intuitive, to intuitively and emotionally affect me. So mm. I can am, you, can you, can you say that again? Yeah. So, so we allow what is happening in the other person emotionally to intuitively and emotionally affect us. So it's, it's kind of being in emotional relationship to what is happening, you know, with someone else, while we're also in relationship to ourselves, right? both fully here and then fully in relationship to someone else or the world around us. You know, I used to think that that was a way of being, but now I'm almost wondering if, if it, you know, really is kind of a, probably eventually is a way of being for now. It kind of feels to me in my own life, like it's a skill set, you know, mm -hmm. that's necessary for acting. Yeah. But then it's yep. scary in life. I mean, it's just scary in life, especially, you know, and sometimes it doesn't feel like we're necessarily yet habituated to living in a vulnerable way with the world around us because it is scary and also because sometimes the world around us doesn't isn't quite yet built for allowing for a truly open kind of vulnerable relationship to it it seems like have you like is there ever been a time where you found yourself in a situation where you feel like you have been able to sort of influence or change the tone and the feeling simply by bringing some of those skills to that moment to the like tone like interacting with someone or y like, yeah so i but I'm, I'm thinking about okay so there's there's a line that i i really like that says that the one thing that we always have to give is ourselves right mm -hmm. so we always have the opportunity to show up and to show up fully and to show up like we talked about for someone else and for ourselves and i think it takes it takes like a certain you have to be in a certain place right and especially like most of us are so busy <laughs> we're doing yeah. so many things and i mean i will be the first one to admit that it, it, it takes me a while to get there right and i have to be very intentional like i do not default to being present but i have noticed that when i am intentional about it you know um i had i had something happen recently where i was giving a, a pitch um i was in a group you know this this room of 20 people or something right and i was i was doing a pitch and I decided to go in that night when, instead of stressing about the pitch itself, I decided to go in and I was like, I am just going to be present because it was me and a number of other people all doing pitches. I'm like, I'm just going to be present and I'm going to be present for the other people who are doing their pitch. And I, and I, I mean, I was well prepared, so that helped, but I found that I just enjoyed the experience so much more. And because I was able to just be present, I think that it, it sort of invited other people to that space as well sort of invited like a sense of calmness right and and i'm just curious i guess if if you've had similar experiences and if so how how you sort of get yourself in that headspace to be able to to walk in and invite other people to join you in sort of this experience of being present 
Well, I have a, I have a question. So, so yeah. for you, for you, what did it mean for you to be present in that room with those people? Like what was, what, what, yeah. what, what let yeah. you know that, that you were present or what was that? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. No, it, yeah. Um, so, I mean, in that instance, it was rather than spending the entire time thinking about what it was that I was going to be <laughs> pitching yep. and being really, like, really, like I, I was prepared for it. And then I was like, you know, what? as soon as I walk in the door, I stop thinking about that. And I am in the moment and in the conversation with whoever I happen to be having conversations with. Right. So if I'm listening to a pitch, I'm genuinely listening to that pitch and, uh, you know, to a place where I could actually give feedback afterwards or ask yep. a, a question that that was essentially what it meant to me in that moment. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think for me recently, you know, it's usually when I do that, I, I usually find myself like crying, crying pretty shortly afterward for some reason. But the people after some screenings had shared, you know, we had a drug and al alcohol counselor come up after one of the, the early screenings of our film, say to us with tears in her eyes that she thought the film would save lives. Mm. Right. And allowing that in, I, I mean, I was just, I was just emotionally so moved by that and yeah. taking into and being in a relationship with her while she said it, it just, it felt like there was a, an understanding. And so I think, you know, in talking about this film, you know, over the last few weeks, th there've been a lot of moments like that with people who have either struggled in recovery um, or with addiction and having many of those moments. And I, you know, I don't know if it's a benefit or not. What I experienced was a sense of like sameness in those moments with this other person where we were meeting in a shared in a shared universe, right? And mm -hmm. I mean, that that's meant a lot for sure. It kind of reminds me of what, what you're saying. And I wonder if that's kind of what part yeah. of me then what being present is, is where you feel like you're meeting. Like you, yeah. you can look yeah. back on and be like, we were meeting. I like that. The sort of like heart to heart connection. Yeah. In a meeting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're, you're promoting your film right now and promotion of any anything that's new any art any any business it's it's a lot of work but like i mean promoting a film can be quite grueling <laughs> if you were if you were to give some advice let's let's say uh, so some of our listeners are screenwriters and mm -hmm. if somebody let's say somebody's just recently finished you know their first film and now all of a sudden they need to start doing promotion where where would you recommend they start such a good question ah oh. Well, I mean, um, if they're not too tired of writing, I mean, for promotion, <laughs> I think probably a press release is. <laughs> I love um, it. That's that's so basic, but you know, honestly, probably a lot of people don't do that. So yes, right. Start for, with a press release. Absolutely. Right. No, it really feels like you know, on the PR side, it's always been kind of about the basics, and then just being willing to really be diligent. Right. You're writing a press mm -hmm. release, and it's not generic. You're, you know, it takes time. I think to really thoroughly think through, like what is the best angle for this particular story? Who's the audience for this particular story? What is the angle for whatever media we're going to pitch for the story? So I think, you know, like most things, it kind of comes down to the details. I remember hearing an interview with Kobe Bryant, right? Um, a few years ago, and he, he was talking about just how he would approach basketball and it would just be extremely diligent with the basics. And I kind of feel like that's mm -hmm. true with, you know, the promotional side too, is, you know, not getting too carried away, but just starting with a simple press release and identifying who to send it to and sending it out. What about what about interview tips? Well, I you know this is an interesting conversation. I, I go back and forth on this. I mean, I, I wonder there's options, right? There are a bunch of options available. One is you know kind of present 
uh, in a very deliberate way the, the message that is most likely to resonate. Another option is to really just be yourself, whatever that means. And I think that's generally most interesting. I, I don't know how to, what do you think? I mean, I don't even know how to answer that because that's such a, such a great question. <laughs> depends on the person. It depends on the interviewer. It depends on the content, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I think that's a really good point. It does. It does depend a lot on the interviewer because yes, <laughs> interviewers can take any, any form, which way. Totally. Um, and go yeah. however they want with questions. But, but I, I do, I, I like, I appreciate your comment about just showing up as yourself because you certainly, you know, you, you, of course you want the pitch about the film itself, right? Like you want people to know what it is they're signing up for if they decide to go see it, but, but you really are kind of just in intriguing people that's a bad way to phrase it but intriguing people with with yourself with your story i think that's what draws a lot of people to art in general is when they want to check it out they're like oh i saw this person i heard this person they're interesting yeah i'm gonna go check that out yeah yeah well yeah what i mean what do you what do you think of that because it's like yeah i wonder i wonder what like what is the purpose of an interview right someone mm. writes something and then they go and they have an interview about it what is the purpose of the interview? Is the interview to get to know someone else? Is it to drive traffic for whatever it is that they're, you know, that they're working on whatever project they have done? Is it to, you know, build up a following? It's like, there's all kinds yep. of different purposes. And depending yep. on that, it can kind of shape how someone frames things. I watched someone like Jonathan Majors, who is someone mm -hmm. I have uh, an unhealthy obsession with according <laughs> to my girlfriend, um, just because he's so incredibly talented. And, you know, yep. During his early interview runs, he is just himself, you know, and he he allows all of his kind of interesting isms to kind of come out in how he handles interviews. And I I personally find it fascinating. And we're also in a time where, you know, the era of celebrity has shifted a bit compared mm -hmm. to like pre-COVID, I think. And and people, you know, the, the the rise of social media and kind of the influencers and the way kind of people live that way, it's also there's a different depth that people are offering now about themselves that didn't exist before. And it's just, it's really interesting to me. This is something I'm just fascinated about that question. And I, I'm, I'm super, I don't have zero answers. That's for sure. But I'm just super curious about the different ways that people that, that we could respond to that question. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I like your question in just asking, you know, what is the interview for and what do you want to use it for? Because I think it's also worth taking a second to to think about that, right? Because there might be times where you are on the interview circuit and, and the goal is just to get people there, right? It is to drive up the numbers. And, and I don't know if I would personally say I would ever want that to be the only goal, but there are certainly times where that is more of a goal than something else, where right. there might be other times where it is just to, you know, to get presence, to help people be familiar with you and who you are and your work. But maybe maybe part of it too is like you know in I remember in in acting training we talked a lot about sometimes when people act there's there's a kind of kind of bookish quality to it where they're just kind of going rotely through the motions and ultimately you want to be able to find the inner fire and connect with that part of you that is fully alive in what you're talking mm -hmm. about to bring this blazing fire of yourself to the to the to the text. I, I think with interviews too, I think it's now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of feel like it's important to connect with what it is you really care about, like where where you are most alive, that kernel of that golden vein of your own self-fire and find a way to bring that, you know, to whatever the subject matter is that you're talking about. Because I think that that fully fired version of ourselves, bringing that forward in an interview will kind of be more likely to have the general effect unless you're going like you're saying for something very specific and very particular in an interview yeah that's so good 
I mean, it goes back to that whole vulnerability thing, right? I mean, it's not necessarily you sharing your entire life story, but it is, it is being genuine and authentic by revealing that passion. Totally. And you know, it's like, you, you can tell, right? I think we can all tell when something doesn't ring really true, when someone's kind mm -hmm. of like either phoning it in or um, like just giving platitudeed answers, right? Rather than just like, here's who I really am. Here's what I really think. And I think anything in that direction is generally going to be way more interesting. But then it's also, it's tricky because, you know, I've had, I've, I've had absolutely wonderful interviews. I've been so honored and, and lucky in the course of this film. And there are also times, right, where, you know, some people have either had long days or, you know, they, they have 25 interviews to get through. Yep. List. And those are always the hardest ones where it kind of feels like, you know, the, the questions are, you know, they are a little bit canned. Yep. And, you know, maybe they're not fully, they don't really care too much about the answers. Um, but the audience will. And so you're kind of like, you're speaking to this person who may not fully be interested, but then, you know, that it's, it's for someone else that you're, you're speaking about this content to. And it's, it's not dissimilar from actually acting well on set. Mm. So, so it, that's, yep. interesting. That, that's not here, by the way, you're amazing. Just, just so oh, like, I absolutely know. incredible. Yeah. I will say I, 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 I always appreciate notes. So, I mean, afterwards, no. after I stop yeah. the record button, if you have any notes, I would love to hear them for sure. No, this, I love, this is an honor. This is truly an honor. So I have a question for you about beginner's mindset and um, I'm not exactly sure how to phrase this question, but so you, you went back, you went to film school like late a, a little bit later in life right like you didn't oh, go right out of uh, undergrad definitely. and then go to film school right I was like the oldest person in class yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. that's how i felt when i went to grad school but anyway Perfect. um we, we, we went to the same grad school by the way i think uh yes. at some point anyway Super. and I, I know you talked a little bit about like why you went to film school specifically but like when i looked at kind of the list of all of the things that you've done it seems to me the assumption that i'm making um is that you have purposefully put yourself in a position many times over the course of your life where you have had to assume a beginner's mindset and i'm i'm just wondering if you could unpack that a little bit or talk a little bit about that like what is it that drives you to do that and what are some of the the good things that come out of that that you see just in your life in general oh great question could also talk about some of the frustrating things that come out because <laughs> there's probably yeah. both there are good things and frustrating things but... no, there's a lot of that you know it's it's funny i i don't uh i don't think i think about it in those terms i think like mm. i but that but that is the reality of it i remember when you know at sepa uh the very first i'd been out of school um for whatever it was seven years eight years and went to columbia grad school and i remember the first day we had like a calculus thing we had to do. And I was sitting there looking at the elasticity of demand equation. <laughs> I was looking at a piece <laughs> of paper. And I was like, I am not leaving this room until it downloads, until I really have an understanding of what it is I'm looking at here, until I got it, until I can get that click. Mm -hmm. And I sat there frustrated. Like I had an impulse to get up about 10 seconds into that. And I sat there for about an hour. And then finally, I was looking at it, and I was thinking about it, and I was engaged with it, and finally something clicked, and I got it, and then that served me for the rest of my time in school. But mm -hmm. it's something about, I've gotten okay at feeling uncomfortable, and my worry sometimes is that I'm craving uncomfortable, <laughs> which which is something I prefer not, I prefer not to live my life that way, but sure, but, sure. but, but I think I think with that beginner's mindset, there, there's a kind of innate humility 
yeah. in that. And I think it's also an incredible place to become kind of an interdisciplinary learner where like making a film, having a background in finance and then the, the international affairs background and the startup background has served me in ways that I could not have possibly fathomed before. Like it's been instrumental in, you know, what's kind of happened with the film. And so I think, I think, yeah, I, I think there's yeah. just something profound, profound in approaching things generally with that mindset. And also it just, it orients too toward like getting back to the fundamentals. Like what is the process by which I engage acting or finance or the startup world and the, the structure there is more important than, you know, what's happening. I think the whole framework of how do you engage something new and how do you structurally learn is, is kind of been a recurring thing for me. I think it's really important today in today's economy too, because I mean, I've heard it said that learning agility or, you know, our ability to just pivot and keep learning is one of the most important um, skills. And it is kind of a skill set in and of itself, like the ability to learn. I think humility is a big piece of that, right? Like we yeah. we don't learn until we put ourselves in a position where we're like, okay, I don't know yet. <laughs> or maybe I know a little, but there's a lot left to learn. Totally, totally. And there's like, there's almost a, it feels a little bit like surrendering, but mm. but in like a wonderful, in a wonderful way. We've talked about beginner's mindsets, but when, let's say when you want to be challenged. So maybe this is something that it's not, it's not new for you. Maybe you have, you have some level of expertise, yeah. but you're like, you know what? I, I need to be, I need to push myself. Like I've, I've been here for a little while. I'm a little too comfortable going back to that, like desire for, to be uncomfortable a little bit. What do you do when you want to challenge yourself? Like, how do you, are there specific things you do? Are there particular people that you see? Do you like shift things in your environment? How do you, how do you meet that need to challenge yourself? Yeah, I go, I try to make a movie. <laughs> I make a feature yep. film. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I will do, I, I, uh, I'm coming into a little bit of internal conflict where it's like, I don't want to like feel this need to challenge myself, but I absolutely do. Right. And so mm -hmm. I will try to write a feature script or I will write a feature script or I will make a movie or I will, you know, take a lead acting role in a film or I will try a, you know, sports apparel startup or I, you know, I trained with a semi-professional basketball team when I was younger. So there are, mm -hmm. There's an innate, very, very strong sense I have for sure to try to challenge myself. And so I don't, um, it manifests in all kinds of ways. Do you think it ever gets to be a little too much? And what, what's prompting this question is, because you mentioned at the beginning of your response, like sometimes I don't I don't want to be this way, but I know that I am. Yeah. And I, I have felt that way uh, on a number of occasions. And I, I think that's very, very common among us among entrepreneurs, definitely. The desire to challenge yourself, which is good to a point, but I, I do agree that sometimes it can, you, it, you can also like tip the scales into obsessive, right? Completely. And Completely. Um, yep. I, I, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if, if there are like, um, like little helpful markers or boundaries or anything like that that you've noticed over the years where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going too far. Like I need to take a step back and any, anything like that, that you would maybe suggest that other people keep an eye out for because, because we can sometimes push those boundaries just a little bit too far. Yeah. If you're having trouble sleeping, right. That's probably mm -hmm. a marker. Yeah. That it might be going yep. a little bit far, even, even good com quote unquote compulsions, right. Have a downside eventually. Right. So like if, 
if someone goes through something difficult when they're young and they turn that into a great thing where they become very motivated, right? And they, they become action-oriented and task-oriented. That ability to crank out tasks is a wonderful skill, but you do that too long and it can cause someone to be divorced from what they're actually feeling and where they're actually at in, their, in, in what's going on with them. And for me, if I take a moment and I spend like five minutes, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to sit here and chill out for a second. If I suddenly start having strong pulls to do something, to go get a task done, to, you know, finish up another project, to start something new, then that tells me that I'm a little out of balance. Right. Mm. And so if I can't, if I can't just take time to be with what I'm feeling and my physical sensations, then that would be a sign for me that I probably need to chill out and I need to just keep an eye on things. And if I have to finish this task for some reason, I'll see it through, but I'll just be more mindful of when this is over, I really need to spend some time recentering and where am I actually at, right? Because yep. yeah, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think that it's very, very easy. Almost everyone I know has probably out of balance more in the task oriented direction to the detriment of kind of where are they actually at and what are they really feeling? I, I love that. And it's it's so practical because I think I think that's a maybe a, a practice or a habit that all of us could cultivate is taking I don't know whether it's every day or you know once a week or something, but like just take take five or ten minutes and literally just sit down and see if you can still yourself find that center. And cool. if it is, if it if you feel that compulsion that is so strong that you cannot sit there for five or ten minutes, yeah, take it take it as a marker. Take it as a some things need to shift, and it's it's time to do some internal work now. Um, I've I've heard I've heard it said that like the hardest person you will ever have to lead is yourself, and I know I have personally found that to be true. And I think in the building of businesses, in the pursuit of art, in anything that we do in life we always have to be turning that camera back on and not to be self-absorbed but just True. like True. you you cannot give what you don't have right like you can't right. you can't give from an empty well um so you really finding that center and finding that balance is so important i don't know if i i don't know if i think that life can be balanced i'm, I'm I, I go yeah. i go back and forth on that but centered and grounded definitely Completely. Well, and then, yeah, exactly. And I also wonder about the whys, you know, it's like, if, you know, like if I ask myself the why question, like, why, like, why am I doing this thing now? Or why do I feel the need to do this thing? Like if I drill down, you know, for most things, there isn't, there'll be some kind of autopiloted mechanism in place operating, right, where I've just been habituated to doing tasks. And now to not do tasks, I feel like, like something's wrong if I'm not doing something. And then what is the reason for that? And if, if, if I'm being driven to do something in a way that I'm not fully in alignment with, then that, that's a marker that there's a lot of, you know, self-exploration to do, you know, in that moment for me, for sure. You mentioned the word alignment. I have, I have this quote on my desk and I am feeling bad because I know I heard it in an interview and I don't remember who said it. So my apologies to the person who owns this quote, but it says, um, do your habits today align with your goals of tomorrow? And I've had it list sitting here on my desk for the last several months, because as soon as I heard it, like, do your habits today align with your goals of tomorrow? I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so often the answer is no, but I keep it here as kind of like a reminder, like a North Star a little bit, you know, like pull back, pull back. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it right, but just pull back because that alignment, that alignment with what we're doing and who we are, you know, I think 
we can get so focused on where we're going and what the accomplishments are, the tasks that you mentioned, right. you know, but like for that to have value, for that to have worth, it has to be in alignment with who we are. And if we don't know who we are at the moment, we kind of need to figure that out. Otherwise how? the two can't get there. But how do we do that's That's something I really deeply wonder about is how do we know who we are, right? Because this, this is one of my experiences early in acting school is it was this really intense, like it's almost like an underground, like street Meisner program in Seattle. And it was just like people that were pretty intense and pretty hardcore when it came to feelings and like, uh, quote unquote, authenticity. And, you know, we would do these Meisner exercises, a repetition exercise where it's like, you know, like um, you'd make an observation about something and you would just be, it'd be a factual observation, but then eventually your inner life would come to it. So you'd be like, you know, you're, you're wearing a black dress. I'm wearing a black dress. You're wearing a black dress. I'm wearing a black, and you go back and forth like that. And eventually at some point, someone's crying and then someone just with those words and someone is raging and someone is laughing hysterically. And one of the things that came up repeatedly was people who would come new to this class. So I was in this, in this particular program for like a year and three months, people would come in. Usually guys would come in and they'd say some version of, I'm just not someone who cries. And, you know, internally, there would just be this like really warm, caring kind of laughter that would go on for me because they had identified themselves as someone who doesn't do this. Well, that's mm -hmm. not true. I mean, that's a conditioned response, right? That's not reflective of who they are. They are as a human being, someone who has a capacity and will be hit with the impulse to cry if, if they're open to that. So men had a harder time with vulnerability and generally women in this particular program had a harder time expressing rage because that was more social. Mm. They were more socially conditioned away from those feelings in the same way men were socially conditioned away from feelings of vulnerability. And it, it was just very fascinating to me to see and then reflecting on myself when I would say, I'm not someone who does this, or I'm someone who does this. I'm a good person. I'm an honest person. All those things are true, but they're, they're, there's something about that where I, I wonder, do we really, really know who we are? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have the capacity for, let's say, the basic five emotions in a very free way, rage, grief, love, joy, and um, terror. And every human being, there's that quote, I think, was it by Rumi, who said, nothing human is foreign to me. I think that's true of of all of us. So I I I, I sometimes grapple with that notion of like uh, I I am someone who X Y Z or I'm not someone who X Y Zs. Sorry, yeah. that was a huge tangent. No, <laughs> no, but it's I, I think it's a powerful question. I and I I personally think the most powerful questions often don't have answers. Now that doesn't right. mean that just because you were I don't have the answer doesn't mean an answer doesn't exist, I suppose. Um, but I, I think it's it's worth asking those questions for which we don't have answers or don't have answers yet because- At least for acting, for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I'm putting it, even putting it in this context of, you know, for entrepreneurs or for artists, maybe, maybe you're not quite ready <laughs> to, to entirely, you know, uh, uh, identify or, you know, put parameters around everything that you are and, and who we are changes over the course of time, exactly. right? And with our experiences right. and our desires change and whatnot. But 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 going back to that sort of central why, like mm -hmm. why are you doing this, right? And I, I do think that, that that central why can also help with the alignment question sometimes. Totally, totally. Because if you can get back to why you're doing it, it will help strip away some of that superfluous stuff 
whether it's tasks or anything else, it like it helps you focus and streamline, right? And and say yeah. these are the priorities. This is what needs to happen. What I'm doing right now is not sustainable for me. I can't be centered in this space. So now I need to strip some stuff away. What do I need to strip away? If I can get back to that why, why am I doing this? I think I can help a little. When like like in the startup world, right? I knew a lot of people who were involved in, you know, at SEPA and elsewhere who started launching companies. And the ones who got were primarily doing it for money and that's what they were attached to generally weren't as successful as those people who were doing it for something bigger, right? For some kind of socially beneficial reason or something that they really cared about. And I think in just about any project, there's a way to connect, you know, that project with something that we care about. And then I think that will help fuel that why that we connect with and what we're doing will give us a much better chance at, you know, whatever kind of success it is we want. But but like you're saying, I yeah. think connecting to the the why that matters to us, really matters to us is a is a really important thing. So I have I have one last question for you and it's 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 a, it's a bit of a tangent. I don't think we've really like there's not a natural way to get here, but I'm just I'm curious for your take on it. So I've been ha having conversations recently with some other entrepreneurs and um we've been talking about relationship building like as business owners, relationship building and this concept of transactional relationships and how in business there like there is there is a transactional nature in some business dealings right i mean that's just part of business like business is transactional like you have a service or a good right you sell it to somebody they pay you money they have an expectation you deliver hopefully mm -hmm. over deliver and so often in building relationships to help your business like there's a transactional component to that and that's i don't think in and of itself it's necessarily bad right mm -hmm. but at the same time when you are able to build relationships even in the business world in a way that it's it's not transactional those relationships can be so much richer right and they may or may not help your business in the moment but they tend to kind of help support you they support you in your journey as a business owner over the course of your life but it's beyond that right like it doesn't even really matter whether or not that comes through and so i'm not sure exactly where i'm going with this question but it's just it's something that's been sort of like going around in my head and i'm curious how you have approached like building relationships for business specifically and if you have any sort of suggestions on ways to go beyond the transactional nature of business relationships that often ends up existing completely yeah i mean i i think my approach has, especially, you know, when I started with the sports apparel companies had been that I am here to be of service, right, to either the basketball coaches or the players or, um, you know, anyone that I'm interacting with in that space, like, my job as a human being really is to help support other human beings. And so that would be the orientation I took. So even if there was, you know, a transactional element happening where they were buying, uniforms from me and we were delivering uniforms to them that would happen but my focus wouldn't be on the money side of it it wouldn't be on the transactional side of it my focus would be on this as a human being who has a you know a, a, a team that doesn't have a lot of money and they care about their community and they care about their basketball players and so I would my just that is just kind of more organically where my attention would go and so I that orientation I think is important all right. So um, if our listeners want to find you, they want to find your film or they want to find or they want to buy athletic apparel from you, where where should they go? 
Well, they, they for the film, they can go to the yearofthedogmovie.com and it will be coming out on digital in April. I don't know the exact oh, date lovely. yet. And yeah, they can email me anytime um, just at rob at the yearofthedogmovie.com. And I've, I've still stepped away from the sports apparel side. Um, other people run the day-to-day, but yeah, that, that email is the best way to reach me. Well, Rob, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and have a conversation with me. I'm so excited for you and um, for everything that's happening in your life and for your film. Good luck with everything. And um, I, I'm hoping the movie comes to Baltimore and I get to see it on the big screen in Baltimore. But if not, I'll definitely be tuning it online in April. Thank you very much. Yeah, my honor.